Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. And I know that we all have a turning point, and I think that when we're trying to look back and understand what God is doing in our lives, we can see moments where God has been extremely evident and faithful, and there are stories that we can all tell. And I believe that there are key turning points. Just like in the scriptures, there are key turning points. There are moments that really changed everything. And this is one of those times where we're going to be looking at a particular story that speaks to us about the God of inheritance. There's a story in which there was a king by the name of Ahab, and he needed to pick a wife, and he looked throughout his kingdom, and finally he settled on another kingdom. And on this day, he met a beautiful woman who he considered to be his bride. Even though the instruction was clear that he was not to take this woman as his wife, he did it anyways. And in 1 Kings, in chapter 16, and in verse 31, it says that he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of his predecessor, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Etbal, king of the Sidians, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. And in this story, we see that he makes this pivotal mistake, one where he defies God and his instructions. He doesn't listen or pay attention to the lessons of his predecessor, but continues to walk in the same foolish footsteps. And I think sometimes things can be hard to shake in our lives. It can be hard to distance our lives from the things of the past because they have shaped us and they have informed us and are still shaping our decisions in the present and creating the wrong futures for us. Not even realizing sometimes the things that we hate the most are the things that we end up doing. Hate the people that may have had a negative influence on our lives and yet we find ourselves walking in their footsteps. Hate the way that they did things and then find ourselves living our lives in a similar manner. And I know that we can all relate to this because it seems sometimes that things tend to carry over from generation to generation unless there's a turning point, unless there's an end to it, there's a break from it so that something new can take place. And in the story in which we're in, we can see how Ahab and 
Jezebel just turned the kingdom of Israel completely towards the worship of Baal. And this God, this false God, is a God that is introduced because of his marriage. And everyone pays the price. And over and over, God tries to give them opportunities to turn away from this, but they continue to choose otherwise. God keeps telling them, turn away. They don't do it. And so what God does, because Baal is the God of thunder and rain clouds, is that he shuts the sky and he doesn't allow it to rain. And he wants them to see that the God that they're praying to and worshiping, that they believe is going to give them possession of the land and care for their land and, and care for the future, that God is a false God. And God says, I want you to pay attention to the God of your inheritance, the, the, the God that has always been the one who gave you this land in the first place and is the one who truly sends the rain, which is a symbol of God's blessing. And so he shuts the sky and he creates an environment where there's now going to be a showdown between Elijah and all of Baal's prophets. And as the story goes on, they're unable to make it rain. But then when Elijah calls out, he not only is able to summon fire to consume the sacrifices, but he is also the one who reopens the skies for it to rain again. And he commands the people to then take all of the prophets of Baal and put them to death. And the people do it but not willingly, because they're all still afraid of Ahab and Jezebel. And so Elijah wants them to do it, and they actually end up backing out. And then Elijah has to do it all by himself. And so we then see an Elijah discouraged who runs away, and we think, why is he running away? Well, it turns out that then Jezebel puts out a command, and in the same way that all the prophets of her God were killed, she goes out and she gathers up all the prophets of God. Anyone who was teaching the scriptures, anyone who was teaching the people, anyone who had remained faithful to God, she gathers up even more than the number that Elijah had killed, and she puts them to death as well. And so after this moment in which God proves to the people and to Ahab and even Jezebel that he's the one that they're supposed to follow, no one does. And I wonder if there's been moments in our own life where there have been turning points, but we have continued to just walk in the same direction. Where God was trying to get a hold of us and a hold of our attention, and he was showing us that the direction in which we were going, the things in which we were doing, the way that we were living was wrong for us, but we continued to do it anyways. I think that we can all relate to that. I think that speaks to us in a way that maybe if we're transparent enough today, we can truly identify with that and just say, yeah, I think that's... 
That's true for me. And it's true in this area of my life where I know it's not the right thing or the best thing or the right thing. And it's definitely not going to lead to an inheritance. I know what I'm doing is squandering it instead of building it up. And yet, there I am doing it anyways. Can anybody else relate to that? This struggle within us is, is real, isn't it? It's, it's this battle that is ongoing. And it's not just internal, it's external. It's not just about what we're dealing with, but, but how we're surrounded. And if you don't bring the right people into your life, what happens is that instead of going towards the inheritance, you keep walking towards losing it. And so the turning point has to be where we surround ourselves with the right person, that we do life with the right people, that we select and choose the person that God ultimately is going to bless us and our future with. And God is saying that I can do this in your life so that you can avoid this over and over again. And so God tries to show them this, but they don't want to see it. But the story brings us to a turning point in the life of Ahab and Jezebel. And it's the story of a vineyard. You see, the story of the vineyard is an interesting one because this is a king who possesses everything, but he has no inheritance. And the scriptures tell us that there was a, a vineyard that was beautiful that he could see from his palace and that he would often gaze upon it and he would just want it for himself. And he wants to turn it into his own personal garden. And it isn't the finest vineyard in the land, but it's just right next to his palace and he's like why shouldn't this be mine and so he goes to Naboth and he says Naboth I'll give you any vineyard in my land that I am the king of all you have to do is give me your land just give me that which belonged to your ancestors and the Bible tells us that sometime later there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. And the vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is so close to my palace. And in exchange, I will give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And so Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And so look at this, he lay on his bed sulking and he refused to eat. What a whiny king. <laughs> but I think that when you have everything, you always are unsatisfied and want more. The, the only thing you can do when you have so much is just think that, well, you can have everything it is that you desire, even that which doesn't belong to you. And, and the scriptures tell us that he wants us to see this difference between the God of inheritance 
versus the king of possession. And I want you to be able to understand this difference in your own life. Now, you can be a king and a queen in your life, and you can bring whatever possessions you want into it. That is always your choice, and it is always going to be of your choosing. You are truly and fully and completely in control of your own kingdom. Your decisions are constantly driving you to take possessions of things that are either going to speak about who you are faithful to or what your true inheritance will be. And in the story in which we're in, Ahab is the kind of king that doesn't really care about any of that other than he just wants what he wants. And there he is in his bedroom, in his pajamas, facing a wall, his face in his pillow, sulking and whining about how he can't have what he wants. I, I don't know, but that reminds me of many days in my own life. <laughs> many moments where I felt like things were just not going my way, where things weren't going the way that I wanted them to, where things didn't turn out the way that I had expected and anticipated. When I was clearly in pursuit of a possession and I could not attain it. And in those moments, I always lost sight of what should have been my inheritance all along and how I should have been guided and should have been directed in my life with inheritance and not by possession. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke, and it speaks of this passage where Jesus is the one who says, that I'm going to send my son. And when I send my son, surely they're going to treat him well. Because after all, I am the owner of the vineyard. And so Jesus says that the son is sent. And they grab him. And they mistreat him. And they beat him. And they eventually kill him and leave his body out in the vineyard. And they do all these things because they want the inheritance to be theirs. And they say, since he will have no one to inherit the vineyard, the vineyard will fall to us. And of course, Jesus was referring to himself. And he's referring to the fact that without realizing it, every time we pursue possessions instead of inheritance, we're killing the son. And we're leaving him to rot in the fields of the vineyard. And instead of being able to take possession of what God would want for us, we end up just being a rotting corpse with no inheritance at all. I know this is heavy, and it's about to get worse. I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize for it now. <laughs> but with all stories, there's a happy ending when it comes to faith, because this is not how it ends. But it's important for us to understand how it begins and how it gets worse, 
Because unless we can do that, then we can't experience a turning point in our own life. See, right now you're thinking of a way that you can take possession. But what you should be thinking about is how you already have the inheritance. You see, if you make every decision towards taking possession, you are going to lose out on the inheritance. God is saying, you already have an inheritance that I never want you to lose. And the way that you hold on to it and experience it and live it for generations to come is by making sure that I am the God of your inheritance instead of you following after the king or queen of the possession instead. So what are you pursuing? What is your motivation for bringing that into your life? And so interestingly enough, in this story, Elijah is allowed to go and speak to the king because the part that I didn't tell you is that Naboth is invited to this incredible feast and he's given the place of honor in it. And Naboth thinks this is going to be a great day. I'm, I'm invited. Looks like the, everything's okay with the king. He's accepted my decision. He's invited me to this feast. He's given me the place of honor. Maybe this is going to be about a future that is going to be even greater than I could have imagined. But, but Jezebel, in seeing how Ahab was distraught, she says, I want you to find two scoundrels. And I want you to seat them on either side of Naboth. And, and I want one to curse him and say that he actually spoke out against the king. And the other one, I want him to say that he spoke out against God. And so they bear false witness against Naboth. And so now Naboth is accused in this feast in front of everyone to have cursed God and to have cursed the king. And so they take Naboth out of the palace, out of the feast, out of the place of prestige, and they stone him to death and they take his vineyard. And on the day in which Ahab is walking through his newly acquired possession, a possession that was never his inheritance, Elijah confronts him. And he goes right to him. And he says, these are the words of the Lord. In 1 Kings 21, he says, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. And then Ahab says to Elijah, so you have found me my enemy? And then Elijah says, I have found you. Because he is the enemy of God. Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then he says this concerning his wife. He says, and concerning Jezebel, this is what the Lord says. Dogs are going to devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. 
and dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. And there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel his wife. And he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites that the Lord drove out before Israel. And after he hears all these things, you would think that maybe this would be an opportunity for them to repent. Well, the Bible says that for a moment, Ahab does. He does repent. He turns from this moment, and he realizes what he's done. And he's overtaken by grief. And then the Bible says that he actually fasts and covers himself with sackcloths and ashes and he seems to reveal true repentance and everyone thinks, well, maybe this is the moment in which things really change in Ahab's life. But they don't. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you've just been so convicted and you felt so condemned and ashamed and you just felt like this was a moment in which you said, I will never do this again. And you got up from that moment with the, the kind of determination that you felt like you've never had before. And you thought to yourself, this is it. I'm never going back. I'm never going to be that person again. I'm never going to make these choices again. I'm never going to be like this again. And then it passes. Come on, let's be real. Has that ever happened to you? Come on, it's happened to me. I know. I know it happens to us. And I'll tell you why it's so easy to go back. It's so easy to go back to the way we were because we still haven't understood the difference between possession and inheritance. We go back because we would rather have the possession than truly inherit what God has in store for us. And that's the turning point. If we can identify that moment when it's happening to us, we're going to be able to say, God, this is just another possession I'm trying to bring into my life. I'm willing to murder anyone and anything in my way just so that I can have it. I don't care what happens and who gives it to me. I just want it that badly. And I'm going to trample over anyone and anything that I have to to get it. I'll lie, I'll steal, I'll cheat, I'll even kill. I'll do whatever it takes because I just want the possession. And when we are trapped in that mindset and we are taking steps in that direction, when we are living a life according to the possession, that's what happens. But what should stop us is what the prophet does in that he says, I don't care about your possessions and I don't care about how you are always trying to acquire possessions. What I care about is honoring the God of my inheritance. And Naboth didn't care about the amount that was going to be given to him. He would have been wealthy beyond measure. You're kidding me? You're giving up your vineyard to the king? Sometimes that's what we do. Like we, we just look at the moment in which we can profit from it financially. We look at the deal and we look at the moment and we say, of course we should sell. Are you kidding? We'll never have this opportunity again. Let's just do it. But Naboth, he sticks to his convictions and he says, I cannot sell my inheritance. See, there was someone else who felt like that. There was someone else who understood that. And it was Jacob and Esau was willing to sell it. It meant nothing to him because he didn't care about the inheritance. He just cared about the possession. 
See, over and over again in the scriptures, when someone has the ability to inherit something that will last forever, someone that can be passed down from generation to generation, Satan is always going to come into your life and tempt you with the possession instead. And he's going to say, compromise here, do this. Pick the wrong person to be your spouse. Go ahead. Take your possession. Take it. Forget about the inheritance. Sell this. Don't worry about what comes next. Take this job. Be this person. Put this in your nose. Smoke this. Do this. Do that. Do whatever it is. Take the possession. But don't elevate your life to becoming everything that God wants you to become so that you can have his inheritance. Over and over again, we're being put in a position to just settle for the possession. And if you can see that, that's going to be the turning point. Because the prophecy that God declares over Ahab and Jezebel is, is one that always will come true, just like it would in our own lives. In 1 Kings, we see what happens to Ahab, the Bible says in chapter 22, verses 34 to 37, that when he goes out to war, even though he's armored, it says someone drew his bow at random. And he hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. And the king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting, I've been wounded. And all day long the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans and the blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died and as the sun was setting a cry spread through the army. Every man to his town, every man to his land. And so the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him there. And they washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. But what's cool about the story is that the arrow was shot at random. And what the author is trying to say in the story is that it wasn't random at all, was it? That that guy shot his arrow randomly, but God made sure that that arrow hit exactly where it needed to hit so that he would die. Because at some point, the chances run out. And what God's saying to us is that, I don't want that to be you. I don't want to keep giving you and offering you an inheritance, and you just keep choosing possession instead. And I don't want something seemingly random to happen when all along it's been prophesied already over your life, if you continue on this path, that this is what the outcome will be. And then when it comes to, to Jezebel, the Bible tells us that she does something really interesting. In 2 Kings, in, in chapter 9, verses 30, it says that Jehu went to Jezreel, and when Jezebel heard about it, uh, she puts on a makeup, she arranges her hair, and she looks out a window. And what she thinks is going to happen, because it's happened before, is that in the same way that King Ahab picked her because of her external beauty, she thinks she might be able to convince 
Jehu of the same. But because she's ugly on the inside, and Jehu doesn't care about the possession, he only cares about the inheritance. He says, who's with me? And there were three servants there who looked at Jehu and said, we've been waiting for this day when we could quit and not have to serve this woman anymore. Consider this our resignation. And they picked her up and they threw her out a window and she hit the wall all the way down. And then a chariot ran her over. And they said that when they went to pick up what was left, it was just a skull, hands, and feet. And then they said, we're just going to take this body, and then they said, of the king's daughter. And then what they did is they went back to her place of origin. She wasn't the king's wife, and she wasn't the queen of the people, but she was just a daughter to a king. And the Bible says that the dogs ate what was left. Who's feeling encouraged this morning? <laughs> At least they got a good meal out of it. The dogs always eat in the story. I think that's the moral. The dogs always get something out of it. Even if everyone else does it. The dogs reign and they shall rule the earth. No, that is not the message, but... I think it is important for us to see what happens when we go after possession instead of inheritance. Is this starting to sink in a little bit? I mean, the stories are told not so that it builds up the wrong kind of fear in us, but the right kind of reverence. So that we understand the difference between those two things. And if we can understand that, then things can really change in our lives. So I've got a few verses that I want to just put out there before you. And, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, because even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And so even when we are struggling, even when we have lived a life of making choices after the possession instead of the inheritance, God is saying today is a new day. It doesn't have to continue to be like that. And just like the prophet came to Ahab in the vineyard, and just like the owner of the vineyard sends his son to the workers of the vineyard, God is always sending us messages reminding us to stop pursuing the possession and start living the inheritance instead. That today is a day in which we can seize that inheritance and, and take the steps forward to experience something like we've never experienced it before. Instead of seeing our life and 
our futures squandered, let's see them build up and take possession of all the things that God has already declared to be our inheritance. Instead of us trying to bring in the possessions, let God be the one who declares what that inheritance is instead. So that we don't have to live a life that is lost, but one that is found instead. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. That's what he keeps reminding me of. It's what he keeps leading me towards and encouraging me for and, and saying to me, don't give up. Today wasn't such a good day, but tomorrow, let's do this different. Let's be different. Today, you, you went after the possession. You should have gone after the inheritance. It's okay. Tomorrow, we will go after it together because you have taken a turning point in your life. I know what you're thinking, what about the decision that I've already made, the one that I'm already living with, the, the possession that I've already brought into my life. Listen, when we give ourselves and we give our decisions and we give over to God everything that we have acquired and taken possession of, even though we know that it wasn't his inheritance, I want you to know that God can take all of that and turn it into an inheritance for us. He can turn that around for you. It doesn't have to be the way the story ends. So what God wants from you is to not just accept things the way they are. And so if you have an unbelieving partner or spouse or someone in your life and, and you look at that and you say, well, that's just the way it's always going to be. No, you're accepting possession instead of inheritance. Your inheritance is that he will come and she will come to know the Lord, that you will build your house and it will glorify the name of Jesus and that it will do that for generations to come. I don't know what other decision you've made that maybe you feel stuck in, that you feel like you can't see turn around, but here's how this works. You can't do it, but God can. And will you trust him for the turnaround? Will you trust him for the turning point in your life? See, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, and we end with this verse, it says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. God is saying, this is your inheritance. I am your inheritance. And I will ensure your generation after generation after generation to inherit the same promise if you inherit it first. Are you ready to inherit that promise? You ready to have that for yourself? Maybe we're going to be the first ones to inherit that promise. And then every generation after us will inherit it too. So let's be the first. Let's break that terrible pattern of possession. And let's start living a life of inheritance instead. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this today. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. 
You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.